0: So a couple weeks ago, uh, as we were uh, working through uh, Colossians 3, we're on verses, verse, basically 20 and 21. And we were kind of working through 10 things. I haven't quite finished up yet, but we'll do that. Uh, but basically, there are 10 different ways, uh, at, least, at least 10, at least that, that fathers need to be aware of to make sure that they do not provoke their children to wrath. And I'm going to make another point about that in just a moment. Um, I will tell you that um, I was reading a book back in the uh, in the '90s uh, concerning this, and the author uh, he was a pretty thorough guy when it came to certain things. And so, when it came to uh, I guess various things to warn fathers about to be aware of, so that you don't provoke your children to anger, he had a list of 33, <laughs> which I thought was and it was really good. Uh, but um, anyway. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do is, I'm not going to go into detail, but, I'm gonna, but I am going to go over very quickly the first, um, I think we covered five or six of them, uh, but I, wa- I wanted to point out something to you, which is, what we're talking about fathers, making sure they don't do with their kids to provoke the anger, I, I, we're just going to make a, a brief comment of how God deals with us as well. Um, so number one, we talked about the fact that you can exasperate your children by being overprotective. Um, and you know, whether you, you never trust your kid and by not trusting them, it can lead to despair, and et cetera, et cetera. But again, when it comes to God and he's dealing with us, God is not overprotective. We know that God protects us, but he's not overprotective. He doesn't keep us from all harm. Uh, he doesn't put a bubble around us. We're not wrapped in bubble wrap. Uh, you know, we have, to, we have to live in the very real world and face what's going on and he gives to us responsibilities and there is trust uh, in fact if you think about it if you have children God has entrusted you with those kids because I mean, he's given us a command as to how to raise them so he's entrusted you with them uh, and of course he's expecting us to uh, uh, to follow through on those things secondly we, we said that uh, one of the ways that a father can uh, exasperate his children is by showing favoritism Uh, Even if you do that unwittingly, that's why you need to be kind of aware of how you treat your children. But again, when it comes to how God deals with us, God makes it clear in the word of God, he has no favorites. Uh, His love is overwhelming. God loves us completely. And in that sense, we can say that God loves us the same. So God does not love me more than he loves Ron. You might think God does, no, Uh, but he doesn't. And God doesn't love you more than he loves me. Uh, God's love for us is complete. Um, It is always uh, overflowing. Uh, He's overflowing with goodness and grace and mercy and kindness and love for us. And so he does not show favoritism either. Also, uh, we can exasperate our children by depreciating their worth. In other words, because of various things that we do or say or maybe yell or what have you, uh, by not listening to them. Uh, they become convinced that what they do, or the way they feel, is unimportant. Um, that is that is becoming more obvious as a result of the lockdowns that our country went through with COVID. You know, kids are going through an enormous number of issues, and those issues is because they were cut off for a while from interaction with many uh, people, and because of a maybe lacked a stellar relationship with the parents. They're, you know, they should not be more vulnerable to these things, but they are. Uh, there are several books that have been written, several studies that have been done already uh, in conjunction with this dramatic increase in number of kids going through what they call uh, sexual dysphoria. You know, the idea that the guy thinks he's a girl, the girl thinks she's a guy, or they don't know what they are. And they have, and, th- and this has been proven by many different types of studies and tests, and it continues to come out to be the same. And that is, at these ages, between 11 and 15 primarily, even though it's not limited to that, uh, kids are already highly vulnerable to uh, suggestion, desperately wanting to belong to a group to be liked, but then because of the even excessive Screen time on social media. One of the big proponents, you know, it used to be the big proponent was Facebook, which is still a major player, but the TikTok thing is really just going overboard um, because of, of what's on there. And so they're continually being bombarded by individuals who are talking about the way they feel and what they're going through. And so sometimes this kids begin to identify with that, or, you know, you could say something that kind of uh, resonates with them. Uh, it's actually it's, it's actually part of a con game. People can do it without knowing they're involved in a con game um, because it, it kind of ties into human behavior. But I give you I give you an example. So if, I don't know if you ever watched this. They used to have a guy. They used to have a couple guys on TV that would do this, and that are these individuals who claim that they can speak to the dead. And so what they would do is you get a group. So let's just say that that's what I do. I don't, but let's just say that's what I do. Well, I do talk to one dead guy. I talk to Jesus. But the thing is, they have a group like this, and so first of all, you, you normally have a group where a majority of the people actually believe that this is possible. That, that's very important for setting the stage, uh, kind of setting the uh, atmosphere of, of the group. All right. Then what happens? done on purpose because when that begins to happen we tend to because of the atmosphere that's being said we tend to think less analytically or we tend to think less critically so it doesn't mean not thinking at all but you're more vulnerable to suggestion and that's because we're human beings so not every single being is like that but many are that's a general characteristic so the stories are told that kind of begin to pull people in it, it kind of up you know amps up the atmosphere that exists and then the individual begin to, um, you know, he may have already prepped the audience, maybe he hasn't, you know, it doesn't really matter depending on how long he's been doing this. It's not always a man, it can be a woman too, but I would just say it's him for now. So what he'll do is, is he'll ask, I felt like he kind of come up. So, you know, someone who's lost someone recently and they would like, they felt like they had they had some things that were not said or unsettled. So you have already got somebody who's already on edge I didn't get a chance to say or say again you know whatever. So you bring up these two or three people. So you talk to them. You in front of everybody else, you get the name, and you have them tell part of the story. You know? And um, so then what the individual will do is I mean, they kind of go into the what I call the seance mode, even though they may not in the light. So then I'll stand and I'll say, does the name Sarah or Rebecca, does that, that ring a better? Now, if you're just back there just kind of watching, I'm just throwing out names. But I'm making it sound like I'm in tune with something. And so and I'm and I'm and I'm not and, and I'm not throwing out unusual names. I'm not saying, do you know about Bartholomew? How about you, but I've never met a Bartholomew. I know there was a guy that was named that once because he's in the Bible, but I mean beyond that I've been a mythology. Alright? Uh, so you use common names. So let's say I, I say, is there is there Rebecca, is there Sarah? I go, or is there a Cindy? he goes, Well when, when my mom's sister was Cindy. So I she, she's still with us? No, no, she passed too. I got him. Why? This sense Then I may ask him to talk about Cindy a little bit. And I'm still fishing for information about his mom. Maybe she's the one that's passed, but you know, and what happens. So what happens is now he's tuned an in. And what's interesting is we'll just kind of pause right there. What's interesting then is when you ask this individual Ron when the whole thing is over, say Ron, what do you think about this guy, Bob? All I know is he's legit. Really? I never. He desperately wants to know what I might be hearing. He wants to be able to to, to communicate. This normally happens. That's why the individual who's outside of the group, observing, you're not emotionally drawn in, you can see that rather easily. And I told you before, you know, the normal operating method for a con man is what: draw you away from other people. Let me talk to you alone. You know, you want because you want to you want to make that connection and you don't want someone else who's not involved emotionally listening because they can see what's going on. But when you got that person (laughs) in your clutches, so to speak, they're they're less apt to see what's going on. And so that's the kind of thing um, that definitely can take place. And so as a result of all these various factors, we have all of these kids now who are already vulnerable and they're being lured in in different ways by these individuals and groups, that are trying to pull them into whatever they're into. And so now there's, because we've gone from where I think it was maybe 1%, I'm not sure the numbers, but, but uh, the disparity is gonna be the same. So if it's 1% of kids who, let's say, really did wonder if they were a boy or a girl, okay, not the individual who says, sometimes I feel like a girl, but he, had, he didn't know what that means. He has no idea. It's just yeah. Sometimes like it's no big deal, and they just kind of go on and they forget about it. You know, I I'm, where's my popsicle? You know, kind of a thing. So, but then the numbers jump to seventeen like, percent. Whoa, whoa, what happened? Seventeen percent, like overnight. And then they're doing these surgeries, this, which is crazy. So a school has to call mom and dad <coughs> to get your permission to give your child an aspirin. But if they want to have gender-affirming surgery, they don't have to tell you. You just can't. This is so mixed up. All right? So the idea then being is that so the relationship that mom and dad have with a, with a child is, is vital in so many ways. It does not have to be perfect. Because it's not going to be perfect. None of those are perfect. So if anything else, the most basic advice you could ever give to any individual whether you it's something you notice or maybe the person has asked you when it comes to raising their kids is you want to make sure you're spending time with your child and you are growing that relationship is growing and it is both quality and quantity for a while there the real big push in parenting was and celebrities would say this well I don't get to spend a lot of time with my kids but I make sure when I do it's quality time. Try spending time with a three-year-old, tell them that. playing with a three-year-old and say, well, Papa can't play along, but I can give you a quality 12 minutes. Now, they don't even know what 12 minutes means until you say you're done. That's not enough, right? They want you there an hour isn't enough. Now, they still have no concept of time, but the idea is we're fooling ourselves. We think that it's quality over quantity. It's actually both. So everything, every time you're with your kid, A, it doesn't have to be profound, and you don't want it to be profound. That is exhausting. Sometimes there's nothing more than I played with my granddaughter one Christmas. She got a new little tea set, and we had tea. <laughs> and what I did was I had a Coke under my seat. And so she brought out her little tea set, and you know she put the water in there, and and I said, ah, you forgot the sugar. And so she went to the kitchen, and I grabbed that teapot, and I downed that water, filled it with with Pepsi, put the lid back on and put it down. And I said, can you pour Papa some tea? She said, sure. Stuck up my little (laughs) teacup. When they came out brown, she was just (laughs) <laughs> she was blown away. I didn't tell her what I did. I said, you see, Papa gave you a magic teapot. Because <laughs> that's what good papas do. <laughs> all right? You can't, so all this stuff is good. You want to do all that kind of stuff with your kids and your grandkids. And so here when it comes to this thing, you want all those things contribute to their sense of worth. It's not you just telling them you're worth something. You show them there were something by spending time with them. That's what, God does. that's what God does with us, right? God never once says to you and me, I'm going to spend quality time with you. God basically told us he would never leave us, never forsake us. All right, and so all those things, remember that that's what a father does to not provoke his children to becoming exasperated. And so we never, never should. Uh, if we do, it's on us. But we don't ever become exasperated by our relationship with God. You don't because God doesn't fail us as a father. Also, uh, we don't send un- set unrealistic goals for our kids to where they just become so frustrated that th- they feel they can never do anything right. God Not only does God set realistic goals now, they're high goals. God tells us of what he wants us to accomplish and he wants us to live. But what else does he do? He gives us the power and the ability to do it. So it's not unrealistic. All right, so I know a lot of men make jokes about this because the Bible says um, in Peter to live with your wife in understanding. And a lot of guys think, well, I can't understand women. God's asking me to do something impossible. In the flesh, it is impossible. With, all, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> all right, so that's all there is to it. So you can understand, but God would give you the power, the ability by his spirit to be able to do those things. And so God, he doesn't leave us orphaned. All right, he, he gives us realistic goals, but high goals uh, but still realistic goals. Then, also, uh, what we ended up last week, we talked about the importance of uh, parents, or this is primarily fathers, failing to show affection, which would be both verbally and physically. And so that is really uh, very important. God does that with us. The Bible is filled with the fact that, and the evidence that God loves us. Right? God loves us through what He provides for us. God loves us by how He communicates with us. And then we also know that God loves us through His people. And so all of, those things, all of those aspects are important. So once again, that, that um, diminishes this idea that we can become exasperated with our relationship with our father. We won't, because he doesn't fail us in these ways. Then, uh, number six, uh, uh, picking, picking it up where we left off last week, uh, it is important for fathers to make sure that they provide for the, the legitimate needs of their kids. In other words, it's not just about buying them toys and gadgets and all that kind of stuff. You need to provide for their very real needs, which would be their physical needs, their intellectual needs, their emotional needs, and their spiritual needs. All of those. What does God do for us? He meets all of our needs. He normally meets our needs through other people, but He makes sure that our needs are met. All of our wants aren't met, but our needs are met. met. Um, Then number seven. Number seven is... Uh, sometimes the opposite of overprotection, but, but a way that can lead to their becoming exasperated is by a lack of standards. That's where kids are left on their own. So they can't handle that freedom. So we've talked before just a little bit about that um, sometimes giving kids more responsibility or freedom uh, is also an individual thing. Some, even in the same family, some kids will be ready sooner than others. That's okay. They all have to do the same thing at the same time. Right, but there's an understanding of that. Um, but again, what does God do for us? Well, there's definitely not a lack of standards. God tells us exactly what it is is expected from us. All right? In the same way, you know, when I grew up, my dad made it clear what was expected from me. Now, he didn't always give me a lecture every morning by now today. I expect it's not what it was. Uh, but as I grew up, I was, it was explained what was expected. Sometimes I was being scolded. And it was explained to me that the reason I was being scolded was because what I was wrong, my dad expected, or my mom expected better behavior, or better manners, or whatever it happened to be. Then the eighth thing is, is that we can exasperate our children, fathers, by destructive criticism. Um, a child learns what they live, so if they live with criticism, they will not learn responsibility. If they learn to condemn themselves, they will find fault with others. If they learn to doubt their own judgment, or to disparage their own ability, Uh, They will begin to distrust the intentions of others Uh, If he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom It's going to be a problem. So parents fathers need to seek to create a home that is positive and, And a constructive environment. So that doesn't mean that we pretend everything is great It doesn't mean that we never criticize because you have to criticize. That's not wrong but destructive criticism destructive criticism is when be it when, when you're correcting whatever they've done wrong, you're diminishing, diminishing them as a person. So you can, even if you spank them, you can spank them and not diminish who they are as a person. It just needs to be real clear as to what you're spanking them for. It's communication. They understand what they're being punished for. Alright? So that does not, that doesn't affect their self esteem, none of those things. In fact, what will really affect their self esteem is if you never punish them, then you then you're going to have a monster on your hand. So the idea is, is that, uh, and so God does with that That does that with us. We know that our faults are pointed out by God. Oftentimes when those faults are pointed out, they're pointed out really in a loving and caring way. You're sitting in Bible study, and all of a sudden you're just hit with some overwhelming guilt as we just study what the Bible says. God's not standing over you pointing his finger at you. It's just revealing the words, and you're like, wow, yeah, that's, that's me. You know, I, I do that, or whatever. And so the criticism was never destructive. God never even hints at this idea that somehow we will no longer be in the family if we don't fix this or fix that. It's never those things. And it's always for our benefit. It's not just because God wants to be our boss. Um, so there's all these correlations, I believe, between uh, the expectations of a father and what our father does for us. Nightly, uh, you can definitely, and this, this kind of coincides a little bit with, with another one that we've covered. But if we neglect our kids, if we are indifferent to them, um, that can provoke them to anger. That can provoke them to becoming exasperated. So we don't want to neglect them. So again, you don't want to neglect them physically, emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually. Now, I'll be honest, most of us are probably aware of this, uh, but the number one area that fathers um, neglect their children is spiritually. That's the number one thing. There's no way to get around. Uh, either because dad himself is inconsistent at church or because dad is inconsistent in reading the Bible or maybe dad is inconsistent in applying the Bible to his own life. Okay, remember, as I've said this to you before, it's more important that your kids see you reading the Bible for yourself than you reading the Bible to them. You should do that, but it's imperative they see that you read the Bible for yourself. It's good you make sure your kids are at church more important they see you coming because you think it's important for you. There's no way to get around that. that because that's that, that's what they see where the real convictions are. That's what they take home with them. They, they may forget what you say in a sense. But what you demonstrate for them spiritually uh, is of great importance. And of course again, God the Father. Who, the example for us is Jesus Christ. W- what is Jesus known for? Jesus is known for what? Praying. Right, Quoting scripture when he's being tempted always going around and doing good. He's, he's this perfect example of, of what it is to be a spirit-led individual. And so um, we are not neglected by God in any way. And again, all of our needs are met by God. Uh, physically Physical needs, spiritual needs, psychological needs, intellectual needs are all met by God. Uh, now, sometimes we can have a bad attitude. So we may think God has let us down because he's not provided something since God never makes a mistake, guess who's wrong? We are. And what, in other words, whatever we think is, is a necessity wasn't a necessity. Right? God does not make any mistakes in that area. Um, so we're never neglected by God in that way. And then the tenth thing um, is we can most definitely exasperate our children by excessive discipline. Um, I know this may sound hard, but we should never discipline our kids in anger. Never. Period. It should never be done. Now, that means we have to have control. It doesn't mean that what they've done hasn't angered you, but they know if you're doing it out of anger. We don't want to be driven by anger. We want to be driven by principle. This is wrong. I may be more passionate about it because you hurt your sister or you hurt your mother. And so I'm, I'm hard on that, but I'm not driven by anger. And so that's very important for us to recognize. So if you're, so even if you, you may not necessarily be overly harsh, though there is, it's very easy for us to be overly harsh when we're angry. So we may think that we're not, but you're not the best judge of that when you're angry. You, you're like you may not be physically overly harsh, but you still may be very harsh in your tone. Remember, your tone and what you say, uh, some kids would actually rather be spanked because it's not as bad as the harshness that comes from your voice and the things that you say. So I'm not a real big fan of yelling. Just yelling is not helpful. I do think this. So I'm not against all yelling. But I do believe that yelling is more effective when you don't do it very often. If you yell all the time, they'll mean nothing. But if you hardly ever yell, and then you do because of whatever's going on, you got their attention. So, you are, so it, it's, it is a tool, and there are times yelling may be necessary. You know, they're walking towards the street, and it's traffic and you know you can't get there in time, you're gonna, your, your outdoor voice is going to come out. <laughs> All right, when you yell at them? All right, but the thing is, is, if you're always yelling at them, they won't hear you because they, they're used to the noise. Um, so, so I'm not advocating that we never yell. I do think at times yelling is actually appropriate, but it has to be measured and it has to be infrequent uh, when it comes to that. Uh, because again, we don't want to be overly harsh. Because uh, we can, you know, you can, you can, for lack of a better way to say it, you can damage their soul if you're if you're yelling at them and you're angry. So it's really, really important that we grasp. And again, how does God deal with us? We I mean, we know that in what God doesn't yell at us, but sometimes individuals say, you know, because of what's going on at work this way, I, I get the feeling that God is yelling at me, and that's okay. I, you know, he, he's going to do whatever needs to be done to get our attention. And, and so that needs to be done. Um, you know, when I was in college and my knee was just obliterated, I would I would describe it this way that at that point, God was, he was man. He was yelling at me and pointing his finger and putting it right in my chest because I wasn't paying attention. And so he had my attention at that moment. Um, and so, again, sometimes that's necessary. So all these things that we are thinking about as far as ensuring that we do not provoke our children to wrath, it's exactly what—that's how God treats us. And again, all those things and all those ideas come from the Bible. They're demonstrated for us, and sometimes they're even commanded in certain ways so that we can follow those principles that are there. So he tells us here then, at the end of the verse, he says the reason why he, that we should not um, uh, exasperate them or provoke them to anger is because if we do, it says, lest they become discouraged, some translation says, "Unless they lose heart. So that phrase is really important. Um, the, uh, the Greek word basically means without passions or without desire or without spirit. So the idea is that if we if we exasperate them or we provoke them to anger, that means that they, they, are, they are becoming disheartened to the point of losing motivation. So they may, be, they may lose motivation to live, and that would be on the extreme. <coughs> it may be they are losing the motivation to try to please you or they lose the motivation to try to live right, all those things can happen to them. Uh, Psychologically, that's what's going on. The Bible's telling us this. Um, So they become broken in spirit. So sometimes, if you ever ever were listening to, uh, I may be giving away my age. Um, Hold on, I'm trying to think of his name. Dr. James Dobson. Not everything he said was was perfect, but he said a lot of really good things. And one thing you talked about was that it's very important to, uh, when when your kids are going through a real stubborn age, usually like when they're toddlers, and then later on they become teens, if necessary, that you want to break their will but not break their spirit. Uh, You want to do that. You want to break their will but not their spirit. Uh, And um, if you break their spirit, then you're going to have a lot of issues. Remember that when they lose motivation or when they become disheartened, Or when they're broken in spirit, when they feel like giving up, they are then wide open to all of the evil influences in the world. Okay, now remember, it doesn't mean everyone who has a wayward kid means that mom or dad had broken their spirit. It doesn't mean they didn't. All right, but the main thing again with the scripture is that we're looking at ourselves and and our relationship with our kids and our grandkids and then the wisdom we pass on. This is not for us to run around and try to try to figure out what's going on with <laughs> others. You, it's just best to wait till you get more information if, if you're going to be involved. Um, so we don't want them to become despondent. Uh, being despondent implies that there's a deep dejection that arises from a conviction of the uselessness of further effort. So again, what goes on at home can vary deeply. Or what, this way, this way. What goes on at home and what doesn't go on home, on at home can deeply affect kids psychologically. So God really has entrusted us in raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And it's best to follow really what the Bible says. Um, and if we do that consistently, then this won't happen. It doesn't mean they're not going to sin. They're going to sin. It doesn't mean that they're going to be wayward. Sometimes kids are going to be wayward. But we but we don't want it to be this, because when this happens, they are susceptible to everything. This is this is a very real thing. Um, this is not someone who's just being lazy. Um, laziness can be defeated, but a broken spirit is really hard to overcome. It's very very difficult, uh, and very difficult to help somebody um, who has that, because no matter what you do or say, oftentimes just it just doesn't take effect. Again, to become, this hard means to be weakened. It means to destroy someone's hope, or to destroy their courage, or to destroy their enthusiasm, uh, to destroy their determination, to destroy their confidence. So one of the big things that people were big on in the 70s, then primarily the 80s and the 90s, was the, there was the big self-esteem movement, which was completely wrong-headed, but that was, that was what was going on. And all of the various fixes that the world came up with to try to address self-esteem were completely wrong-headed. All it did was feed uh, um, self-aggrandizement. It would feed narcissism or narcissistic attitudes. It was feeding the ego. It's not how you help somebody with their self-esteem or confidence. It's in the relationship you have with them. Them, you, them, that individual feeling and knowing that you value their life, okay, that, that affects them deeply, that gives them confidence. Right? It isn't undermining. So <laughs> confidence in, in another person, in our children, um, or in, in the relationships we have with other people, come from us and how we treat them. Just uh, like treating poorly can zap them of their confidence. So it's really got nothing to do with the whole self-esteem thing. This is this is the biblical way. Uh, they want to help people. Again, this is how God deals with us. You know, God doesn't glorify us. In fact, what does He say? He He gets angry when we glorify ourselves because we're stealing glory from Him. Um, remember that uh, when it came when it comes to yes. Moses. Remember Moses is, is this great spiritual figurehead in the Bible. You know, he had his faults. This this guy was. I mean, remember he asked. To see God. God said no, but then he said, I'll let you see my back parts. He didn't say anybody else. Alright? Moses did a lot of things and was chosen by God to lead these people uh, when he did. So when it came to the time of the wilderness, there's two important stories, because they go together in this way. There's no water. And some of those are complaining. God tells, him, tells Moses, hit the rock, bring water, and, you know, so he doesn't everybody is watered and they have plenty to go around. Everything is great. great. So people know this. They know that God has, has empowered Moses to do this. So there's another time when it's very similar. There's no water. This time Moses. It's, he gets angry. He's mad. He's mad at the people. And He makes a statement. Okay, this is, what, this is where, we, where we sometimes go wrong. See, Moses does hit the rock. And people are aware of that because they, they'll go back, because maybe someone's pointed it out, that he should not have hit the rock because God said, speak to the rock. Mm-hmm. It's true. That ain't the problem. God never brings that up. What happens is, is what Moses says. And he looks at the people. He says, must we mm-hmm. bring forth water from this rock again? The we is not him and God. Mm-hmm. It's him and Aaron. He and Aaron did everything together. Aaron was the mouthpiece. So God then tells him later that he's not going to lead the children of Israel in the promised land. And he tells him why. You did not hollow or honor my name before the people. You go back and you look, and in English, it's one word. We. Must we bring forth water again? He he took the glory for himself, like as if he did. He knew he didn't. But he said that, and even though he was angry, God holds him completely responsible for what he says. And because of that one word, he was not going to leave. It to, what he wanted to do more than anything else was to lead the people into the promised land. Now, he didn't lose his salvation. Moses is in heaven. You know, all of that is intact. But that one thing he wanted to do more than anything else, he, God was not going to do it. And so he, that's when he asked God to let him see the promised land. And basically, God said, yes. And he goes to the top of the mountain see the promised land and God buries him there uh, because he, that's when he dies so it's it's an incredible thing when you think about it that when it, you know Moses uh, one word but it's because he took he actually stole glory from God he, you, can even, you can even say this if you want to well he really only hinted that it was him and Aaron that matter you're communicating the same thing all right so that would be like so uh, if, you, if you teach a Bible lesson and someone says that it really ministered to their heart, it's not a sin. They're thanking you. It's not a sin for you to say, for you just to say thank you. That's not a sin. But if you say or think, yeah, I, I really put it together well this time. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> do not do that because it's the Lord. No matter how well you speak, if the Lord doesn't bless you, it doesn't matter. It's not going to do the work that, that you think it's going to do. Sometimes God does bless in spite of us, not because of us. You've got to remember that as well. So there's no room for bragging or anything, much less this idea that somehow we have done something apart from God. It's not that way. Um, and so we just wanna make sure that, that that doesn't happen. So when it comes to our kids becoming disheartened or demoralized, um, we wanna make sure that that does not happen. So again, the idea of the word that's used here in the Greek means that your kid, at whatever the age, they can be an adult when this finally comes around. They feel they can never do anything right and so they give up trying. Uh, so when they find they can do nothing right because of constant fault finding or what have you, uh, then they're apt to become despondent. So that's why God tells us, no matter, no matter what you and I think, mom and dad will always be the most important influence on your child's life. Whether you do something or do nothing. Because you're communicating loudly to them. Other people will have an influence, and you act, we actually want other people to have an influence on them. But no one will have a greater impact on them than you, their father, or you, their mother. And I do think, I do think that that this is a a healthy thought. If you're a Christian, the desire of your heart should be, I want, outside of the Lord, I want to be the number one influence on my kids. Not because you want to be great in their eyes, but who do you trust to love them more than you do, except for God? Somebody may love them a lot. And that's great. But it but we should be we should be convinced nobody will love them like I do. I will willingly, like, like if someone in my family needed a kidney, Yeah, I, mean, I love them. I'm not sure I'm really interested in testing. So I just I'll be honest, I don't know. <clears throat> One of my kids, I'm first in line. First in line. I used to always think that. Giving a kidney wasn't a big deal until I learned that it was. Because there was uh, there were these two brothers, they were in their 30s. And one brother was in, a, I guess, an accident. He lost his kidneys. So he was going to die without a kidney transplant. And of course, his brother uh, was a match. So his brother was in great health. So they did the surgery. They took the kidney from the healthy. He had two kidneys, so they took the one. Gave it to the other. Surgery went great. The brother who received the, the new kidney, everything was functioning great the brother died. died. The doctor didn't do anything wrong. The, you know, they kind of, as you read through the article, the doctor, you know, they said it was investigated, the doctor did nothing wrong, there was, there was, there was no negligence, something was part, he killed him. And that blew my mind, because, you know, ignorant me, you know, when it comes to medical things, I, I think, well, oh, that's routine. You got two kidneys, yank one out, give it to the other guy, hey, we're both going to be happy. We may have a limited you know, life because of that, but it's okay. No big deal. That's a big deal. Uh, so, again, so one of my kids is a kidney. First in line. Be tested. Someone else, I may like them a lot. I may even love them. I'm thinking about it. Because there's, there's a lot going on with that. Doesn't um, that mean I don't love them, but. So, anyway, just kind of throwing that out there. All right. So, uh, let me. Got a new set of new set of notes because that one's done. Ron, would you mind helping out? Be great. Pass these out. Thank you. So, if if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, open the Colossians chapter three, and we'll start with verse twenty-two. As we continue to move on through Colossians, we're still dealing with some very practical. Um, comments by Paul. So I'm going to read verses 22 through 25. That's where we're going to be. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So, verse 22, very first word, slaves. Uh, in your uh, notes, I have the same verse given in the Amplified. So let's look at that. It says, servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not only when their eyes are on you as pleasers of men, but in simplicity of purpose with all your heart, because of your reverence for the Lord and as a sincere expression of your devotion to him. So the first thing we need to talk about is the very first word. So in the English Standard Version, and I do believe it's both in the King James and the New King James, I'm not positive. I also think the word is slave. Other translations do have the word servants. But just so you know, the word is not servants. It's slave. Uh, Others may have changed it, or thought that was a better word because it sounds less offensive. Uh, Sometimes uh, uh, people today may prefer that word uh, because of all the various types of uh, issues going on in our society. So they want to avoid the word slave, uh, but that's not a good idea. Um, I think we just need to go with what God has used because what we're dealing with here is the Understanding of priorities and the absolute commands of God and the descriptions that he uses He uses for a reason Okay, so we're not we should never try to soften or harshen anything that God says So in your notes explains the word doulos, which is the word is what the word slave comes from And so the proper translation of the word doulos is slave Uh, It is a Greek word which describes someone who is bound to another in servitude. Um, So this is not just a glorified servant. This is a slave. Now, in the time of Paul, there were many different kinds of slaves. So we want to make sure we have a good understanding of that. But then also I want us to see what it is that that God uh, is saying here uh, to us and to these individuals. So in in the time of, of, of Paul, you, had, you did have, first of all, the more, I guess it would be the more common way that slaves uh, became slaves. And that is the Roman army would go in, and they would conquer a nation. They would dispose, disperse the people. They would normally then take all of the young men that were of age to serve in the army. And they would have a choice, serve in the Roman army or be sold as slaves a lot of them would be would become part of the army. not everybody. And if you were enslaved, then you'd be sold as a slave, and that'd be it. You know, you would be a slave for the rest of your life. Number two, you had individuals who became slaves because of money they owed. You borrow money. You can't pay that money back. You owe. There's no, you know, this is not like today. There's, there's no bankruptcy court. There's none of that. You owe. And if you can't pay in cash, you pay with your life. Meaning, they don't kill you. You owe them your life depending on what you owe, you might be able to work your way out of your debt, depending on how big it is, but if it's a big debt, you don't have a choice. When you are a slave, normally, but not always, but normally, you have zero rights. Your master can do whatever they want with you. Now, it's not that case in every single instance, in every single culture, but that still is the primary way that slaves were dealt with. Your master would not ask you permission. if, Let's say he got a Let's say that he needed some cash, and he, his buddy liked you because he saw that you had certain skills, and he wants to buy you. And you say, well, my, my wife is over here. So uh, I'm selling you to my buddy, and he lives in Sicily, so you're moving. Now, if I'm a good master, I might send your wife with you, but that's not necessarily the case. Also, slaves own slaves. That was again common. You, you, let's say you become a slave because you owe money, uh, but as you work, you still have a lot. You may have a lot of freedom, and you're still making money, but you still owe your master. And then, but you have a growing household because you've gotten married, and so you you may buy some slaves to serve your family. So that again, that's not unusual. Um, so there's all kinds of things going on with that. When it comes to the Bible, the Bible, so some people will, will criticize the Bible saying, why does Paul say that about slaves here? Because what he should be doing is <coughs> trying to free the slaves. And, the, and people become very critical of that. First of all, there's a whole lot of stuff with all this, and it can be a lot to take in. First of all, almost all of your major movements to free slaves were led by Christians. And it's all based on what the, what, the, what the Bible says. At the same time, the most important thing is not your freedom. It's your salvation. And that we live for Christ. That's hard. It, it is very easy for us to say because we're free. I know that. But it doesn't make it wrong. This command that Paul is giving to the Lord is to the slave. And he is told, categorically, to serve his master and to serve him like he's serving God. He's not saying his master is God, but to serve him because he is serving the Lord. If you're going to be a slave, be the best slave you can be. Period. Not because God may bless one day and you'll be free. That's not in there. That can happen. But that's not in there. That's not what it says. You may die a slave. But you, all of us, need to make sure that the most important thing to us as Christians is that we represent the Lord well in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So I would tell this to the inmates all the time. You become a Christian. You can no longer live like a regular inmate. Right? You, You cannot, for example, you cannot be involved. The most common thing there is... I, I, it may be different from Prince of Prison, but it's called the, the two-for-one deal. So basically what that means is, if I have commissary, so I've got, you know, I buy, you know, the inmates if they have money, they can buy commissary, they can buy honey buns, and ramen noodles, and Coke, and candy, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm sitting in jail, and I have all this stuff, and then and you come in, and you're, you've just been arrested, you don't have any money in your books yet, and you know, they, they it was Thursday, and on Thursday they served mystery meat. No one knows what that is. To this day, no one knows what mystery meat is. On in the for the jail meal on Thursday. I even asked the cook once, I go, what is mystery meat? And he said, wouldn't you like to know? I said, man, <laughs> would I ever? I didn't eat it, but I just, you know, I wanted to know. Of course he wouldn't tell me. So so you you know, someone gets arrested, they have no money in the books, it's mystery meat night, they don't eat dinner, and they're hungry. And let's say you're my cellmate. And I got ramen noodles honey buns, candy bars. And it looks a whole lot better when you're hungry. And so I say, look, I just got here. I want to look out for you. You want some ramen noodles? You want, you want a honey bun? I'll give it to you. Two for one. What that means is I give you ramen noodles. You owe me two. I give you a Coke. You now owe me two. That's how it works. And if you want a Coke tomorrow, no problem. You owe me two more. All right? Still hungry, even though it wasn't mystery, night, mystery meat night, and you still want the ramen noodles, no problem. Two more. And so, I, and so you're charging interest. So I told him, I said, you know, the Bible says, you don't want to take advantage of your brother just because he's in that kind of a predicament. So you need to give him the ramen noodle. If he pays you back, great. If he doesn't, don't worry about it. You need to give it. To Period. I said, now you're not, I'll be able to give it to him. Because you know he's not really starving. He may feel like he's starving, but he's not starving. So if you want to give it to him, don't give it to him. But don't do the two for one thing. Because you're a Christian. You are a Christian. You can no longer be involved in making crank. Cranks when they would take maybe some fruit and they would store it in the, in the vent so that it would begin to turn. And then you can make some kind of um, alcohol out of it. It's not really much, but in their mind, they can get a buzz, and so they're whatever. Some guys get psych- psychotropic meds, and they hide them, and then they sell them, because there's guys in there that it would take anything, you know, anything that they think might give them a buzz. And so you start selling your meds, which it's wrong. I said, you're a Christian now. You can't do that. You may think that when you go to prison, you have to join a gang to make it. No, you need to trust the Lord, you need to live for the Lord others to it. You're not not that anymore. That's not what you need to do. They say, what if I die? This is more important. I know it's it's easy to say. I'm not going to prison. But this is more important than them killing you. You need to represent the Lord well. So, you and I, you go to work, you represent the Lord. You don't break the rules on purpose, but you don't violate what the Bible says. And if they're out to get you, then they're out to get Right, Mark? <laughs> All right, and that may happen. But it's okay. All right? We're Christians. Right? We no longer live that way. That is more important. So here, for the individual who's in in what we were probably and I would, would agree, it's probably the worst possible situation. You're a slave. Now what does he say? Obey them in everything. Now obviously he's not telling them that if they tell you to go kill someone, that you go do it. That's not what he's saying same time, he is saying, obey them. Whatever they tell you to do, that's what you do. And then he tells them how to do it. He says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. First of all, not by way of eye service. In other words, you don't just do it so they're watching you and you're going to be good. That's not why you're doing it. You do it with a sincere heart. So he's even getting to your inner motives. You are not doing this because you think You'll be like Joseph and you'll get out of jail one day. That's not why you're doing this. In fact, remember with Joseph, even though when he interpreted the dreams, he told them, remember me? Remember the first thing they did? They didn't remember him. And he was still there for a while, like a while, before the cupbearer finally, oh yeah, there's this guy I knew in prison. He <coughs> told, you know, told the king, and this guy knew my dream, all right? So, but that's, but Joseph was this stellar inmate and when he was first arrested and put in prison, he was gonna be in prison for the rest of his life for something he didn't do. And how did he respond? He was so trustworthy, he worked so hard, the jailer gave him the keys. Said, <laughs> you run the place. You know, jailers probably think, I'm not an idiot. You're gonna do a better job than I do, make me look good, here. <laughs> Go to it, all right? So the thing is, that's, that's how we are to be. So here, in this situation, this is what he's telling him, and we, we, we don't have to shy away from this. So again, this is not, he's not saying slavery's okay. It's not doing that. That's not even the issue. The issue is our obedience to the Lord. So we will pick that up. We are over time. And so we will get back to this next week and continue to kind of flesh this out. So we can really understand the, the strength of what God is telling us and what he expects from us. And what he will enable us to do. Because as we already mentioned before, God does not leave us alone. He will strengthen us and empower us. To live in obedience to His will, Father in Heaven. Again, we thank You as we always do, Lord, for Your goodness, grace, and kindness. We <coughs> ask Lord, that You bless the time we've had in Your Word. We pray, Lord, that um, it will be profitable and that You will remind us often of what Your Word says. Uh, Father, we ask that we would meditate on Colossians, in particular chapter three, and that we really work through in our minds what You are what You are saying and what You are asking uh, here in this passage. Father, we pray now You keep us safe as we go home. Again, we thank you and ask these things in Christ's name.